Matt, did you put in the coordinates? Yeah, I, I did it, yeah. Did you put in the exact coordinates? I put in exact coordinates. Maybe not the exact coordinates, but exact coordinates. Because once I hit this button, we're going to be blasted off into space. And if you don't have the exact coordinates in it, we're going to be lost in space. Uh, just hit the button. Let's okay. see what happens. Let's see what happens. Oh, Jesus, where are we? Well... We're lost in space. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And this week we've got our VHS episode and we're doing Lost in Space. The 1998 adaptation of the 60s TV show that uh, was going to launch a franchise but just didn't. Alright, we'll get into this film right here. We've got it directed by Stephen Hopkins. Do you know who that is? I do. I'm a fan of Stephen Hopkins. Uh, we have we have seen him do Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Dream Child, Predator 2. He did a couple episodes of Tales from the Crypt, too. I did not like 5, The Dream Child. Uh, I thought that was definitely the one of the weaker ones. I enjoyed 6. I thought that was a blast because it's just like way over the top. I'm, I'm flipped on you. I, I liked the over-the-top visuals of Dream Child. I'm, I'm so-so on Freddy's Dead. Six is trash. That's <laughs> why I like it. I, this guy's got a good visual style. I'd say that what it is. He kind of looks like visual effects person. Yes, and I think he does have some sort of visual background. And he super, super talented director. Doesn't always make the greatest choices for movies, but uh, I like his eye for sure. He did a lot of the 24 episodes, so he's definitely, you know, gotten some money in his wallet. Cool. Good for you, but I've never watched 24. This was written by... Akiva Goldsman. And apparently Irvin Allen did the original television series. Yes. I don't know who that is. Yeah, he's just the creator of the show. But Akiva Goldsman, do you know what he's written that we should talk about at some point? No, I don't, but let me know. <laughs> Batman and Robin. <laughs> For the love of God. <laughs> I mean, if you think of, like, crap cinema of the 90s and 2000s, chances are this guy's name wasn't on it. It's, you know, I Am Legend, Batman Forever as well, but that was a better movie, I think, than Batman and Robin. Not a good, not a good talented guy. <laughs> He's won an Oscar, though. Like, go figure. So he wrote the screenplay... For both Batman and Robin and Batman Forever? Yeah. Holy hell. Yeah. And iRobot and I Am Legend, just not good movies. And then, like, recently, like, the last Transformers movie, Rings, The Fifth Wave, Dark Tower. How this guy still gets work, I don't know. It's, he won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind, which, like, let's be honest, is just schlock anyway. Like, the, the only reason that movie won that year is just because, like, it was a feel-good movie. Not because it was a good movie. <laughs> well, his movies make money. That's why he's got a job. Even, That's true. Even if you didn't like The Da Vinci Code, which I was a huge fan of the book, but not the movie, it made money. Cinderella Man made money. iRobot made money. A Beautiful yeah. Mind made money. Yeah. But he is a schlock writer to the max. For sure, and uh, Lost in Space definitely fits in that wheelhouse. So welcome to Analog Jones, Mr. Irvin, whatever the hell you're... Uh, uh, Akiva. Uh, Akiva, because you are the perfect man for this show. <laughs> yes. Top build in this movie, uh, when you watch the credits, is Gary Oldman, who plays Mr. Smith. Yeah, it's almost like he's up for like an important award this year for another movie. What is that? Hmm. I don't know. I don't watch those movies. I watch these <laughs> movies. <laughs> no, uh, he's he's up for uh, the Oscar. He's already won Golden Globe, Screen Actors Award. He's I mean, going up for Darkest Hour as Winston Churchill. And while it's a great performance and a pretty decent movie, this is totally the apology. We haven't given you an Oscar yet, Oscar, though. Because <laughs> he's, he's given better performances. So. The man's in a fat suit, all right? Yeah. He's going to win. Yeah. No, they got a prosthetic neck on him, and he's in a fat suit, and he's giving powerful speeches. He's going to win this year. But you know what? He totally deserves it. It's a long time coming, and totally deserves to be like paid the most in top build in this movie, because he's great. He's given it a thousand percent. In... He's the only reason to watch this film. <laughs> he's giving it 
100,000%. He He's committed. He even sounds like the actor that was in the original show. Like, he's almost emulating his, like, speech patterns, which is just, like, just a testament to, like, how committed Gary Oldman is as an actor. That even in the Lost in Space movie, he's like, I'm going to channel the original actor, and it's going to be great. So we've got, also second build in this, we've got William Hurt Mm -hmm. as Professor John Robinson, which he is a snooze fest in this for me. You could tell he's kind of like a committed actor, but sometimes it comes off as kind of sleepy. He did this the same year as Dark City, with another new line kind of sleepy release, but uh, that one's gone on to a lot of acclaim. And yeah, he just sort of kind of gives that same one tone monotone performance but you can tell he's trying he's not just cashing a paycheck or anything he just brings so little to this role so william hurt and mimi rogers kind of like heading the robinson family you've got very solid actors all the lines are delivered really great but again this couple not really doing it for me there's not a lot there for their relationship and I think part of that's the screenplay part of that's probably miscasting of the two of them like I just don't think they have like the right chemistry together she was in Austin Powers a year right before this Mm -hmm. so she was kind of on a comeback almost a little bit like after Austin Powers third build in this we've got Heather Graham or fourth build whatever you want to find Dr. Judy Robinson again this is a miscast to me because this is part of her rise of super popularity after Boogie Nights Mm -hmm. and she does not work as a doctor for me or I just it's not there well yeah I think I think part of the reason she's in this movie is because of just how popular she was they needed like the next big thing to be in this kind of role again I think it's a script it just doesn't come through she doesn't have enough to do in it and then we got Matt LeBlanc as Major Don West I think he plays a soldier well I think he did fine in this Uh, some of his over sexual approaches to uh, Heather Graham's character was getting a little annoying. But as a soldier, I think Matt LeBlanc was good, and he should have done more roles like this, but I think because of films like this, he lost it. Yeah, I was gonna, I, I'm going to see you that and raise you. I think he's great in this movie. He's so watchable as the major character. He's a good, tough guy. And we hadn't, up to this point, had not seen him play this role. Actually, after this point, we haven't seen him play this role. I wish he did get to do more stuff like this because he's great. He's super watchable. He's got a great screen presence. He's in the whole movie start to finish. I only remembered him in it a little bit, but he is in this all the way through. Yes, he's in, he's in every. He's in almost every scene in this movie, and he's great. I wish he got to do more action stuff. The two other actresses, or actor and actress in this, so we had Lancey Chabert. Uh, I don't know how you say her last name, but the, the little girl that was in Party of Five and then went on to Mean Girls, and now she's really found her footing in, like, Lifetime movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Hallmark movies. Lacey Chabert. Lacey Chabert. So the last actor in this we should talk about is Jack Johnson, the little kid, as Will Robinson. And I'll be honest, Penny and Will... I kind of like the real those two's relationship the most in this entire film. Yeah, they actually like in terms of like not couples but like one-on-one relationships like as like, you know, pairs, they're the best pair to watch in this they, movie. Yeah. They play off each other really well. They have good chemistry. They seem like brother and sister. Oh, I guess we should uh, mention also Jared Harris as older Will Robinson. I fucking hate this actor. I Ow. can't stand Jared Harris. He annoys the shit out of me in every movie. And what cracked me up is he's dubbed in this because he's got that intense British accent with that annoying fucking nasally voice. He's dubbed over in this movie. I hate this actor. Can't stand him. <laughs> I think he plays an excellent, arrogant character, but he looks a little odd in this film. But yeah, I just, I don't, maybe it's because I don't like arrogant people in general and he always plays that role so maybe i just assume that he is an arrogant person i don't know i can't stand the guy i can't when he shows up in things i'm just like shit (laughs) jared harris is in this fucking movie (laughs) (laughs) like you hate him so much you know him by his personal name right you're like fucking jared yeah fucking jared's in this goddamn movie well that's not a very good name to have i mean isn't the subway guy who's into little girls or was i mean now he's getting you know banged in real prison yeah yeah i'm not making the comparison but if it did come out that jared harris was fucking kids i wouldn't be surprised (laughs) holy shit that took a turn (laughs) i like to keep it dark (laughs) just like this film (laughs) yeah it's very dark so let's get into the money on this this cost 80 million dollars this was new line's mega movie of 1998 
Yeah, and they marketed the shit out of it, too. I remember the trailers, the toys, the uh, posters that were in every theater. April 3rd, this dropped. So this was, like, sort of the beginning of the summer movie season uh, for them. And I'm sure they thought it was going to be a big hit and only got $69 million, uh, in the U.S. and 136 worldwide. So they didn't. they made money, but not a lot. Yeah, I don't even know if they really made much money because of all the marketing it costs. I mean, probably. the budget probably didn't have any of the marketing in it. So mm-hmm. you're probably looking at like $110 million total with this. So maybe they made a little bit of money. You know, they got some merchandising out of it. Who knows? But it wasn't what they thought. They thought this thing was going to be the next Star Wars. Right. This was planned. I guess we can cover this in the behind the scenes, but I'll just mention it now. This was planned to be a first of a trilogy. I think that's really obvious the way they ended it. Let's move on to the box art. Matt, break this box art down. Sure. So you're walking down the video aisle of your Blockbuster or whatever it was at the time. Family video, man. Family video, whatever it was. And you stumble across this cover. Get lost in space at the top and it is the raised font and it's like sparkly silver raised font. It's so 90s. And then the LS logo in the background, which they slapped on all the toys. Remember that? Love it. Yeah. So it's just marketing right on the right on the front. And we are in space. We see the Jupiter One ship flying through the air with fire blasting behind it. So it's like kind of an action shot of the ship in space. And then we get the 90s floating heads. Ugh. We get Matt LeBlanc, Lacey Chabert, Gary Oldman, William Hurt, Mimi Rogers, Jack Johnson, and Heather Graham all together looking directly at you, looking super fucking serious. Very serious. They're with their spacesuits on. These are the first spacesuits uh, that they go into the cryo sleep with, uh, not their like later like action suits, which I think all the toys were. Um, yeah, and I always wanted to point out since it's on the cover, like especially Heather Graham's boob, uh, like the. The suits, much like the Batman and Robin suits, are, like, anatomically correct. Like, the dudes have, like, a big, like, bulge on their crotch, and then all the women, even, like, the little girl, have, like, boobs, which is just weird. It's very weird, but it was one of those things where, like, I don't know why this became a 90s trope with suits. They wanted to let you know their gender very fast. Yeah, it's it's. I wonder if this isn't a Kiwa Goldsman thing because it is a crossover from Batman or Robin. If this was something he started, but we get we do get the the anatomically correct suits. And there is a line that Mimi Rogers has in the movie where she's after like they all suit up and she sees a little girl. She goes, "Well, that's almost appropriate." Like they call it out. Yeah, like, they call it to attention. It, it's, <laughs> it's just odd. <laughs> I don't know why they would do that. Why don't you just have them in? Uh, anyway, it's the 90s. Yeah, it was the 90s. And then the only thing that we have on the cover besides the floating heads, the ship, and the logo is a little quote, which is unquoted. We don't know who said it. Uh, but it says, a thrill ride of a movie. Exciting, adventurous, eye-popping fun. Okay. Now, I did notice they got everyone from the cast on this except the older Will. And the robot's missing, but don't you worry. They slapped that bad boy on the side. Yep, the spine has robot. As he's called in the movie. <laughs> um, and it's labeled as a sci-fi adventure film. I think that's correct. The side spine has the raised silver font as well. Dolby Surround VHS, because this was in the DVD era, so we had the distinct. And yeah, Robot, very prevalent on the bottom here. And this is their like redesign. This is the 90s version of Robot. It's not till later in the film we get the 60s version of Robot. Flip over to the back here. I, oh, I just want to point out this too. You've got you've got a blockbuster video purchase from 1998. So some somebody bought whether it was you or yeah, somebody. Oh, it was my mom. Your mom bought this when it came out from yes. Blockbuster. So <laughs> I should mention my mom took us to watch this film in the theater in 1998. My mom is a big sci-fi nerd. She got me into things like Doctor Who and Red Dwarf and all this. Anytime a movie like this would come out, I mean, she would gather up the troops, you know, because my mom had four boys. So my older brother, I don't think, went with us on this. So it was like her and three little boys, because I guarantee you my dad didn't watch this. (laughs) And uh, we just all go to the theater. And back then it was like $5 a person, 20 bucks, whatever, you know, kid price. I don't know, whatever. We watched this, and I remember my mom liking this, and she bought it right away. And I remember all three of us kids being like, eh. I saw this when it first came out as well, probably opening weekend or whatever with my parents. But I was eight. 
I was really young. And I, I remember... I was 35. <laughs> <laughs> Big age gap here. I don't know if you guys could tell. <laughs> but uh, we still get along. So I was eight when this came out. And I remember really enjoying it when I first saw it in theaters. So I also, as soon as this came out, which was around Christmas, it says 11 23 98, so Thanksgiving, Christmas. I remember I got this as a Christmas present. So it's funny. We got to at home separately watch the same tape because we both have the same release of yeah, this. Yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> we have the original release of this. See, I should point out your age. So you were eight. That kind of makes sense. I was 16. My brothers were 15. It was at that age where like we didn't want to watch things with our parents right. anymore. We right. wanted to break away. So we're like, uh, hope we don't get seen at the theater. I was going through that mm-hmm. yeah. part of high school, which is so stupid, kids. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah, no, I, I did the same thing. So yeah. that is a thing. That is a thing that I totally was like, I want to go to the movies with my parents. Lame. Just stupid. drop me off. Drop me off or let me sit away from you. That's dumb. Don't do that, kids. Like, if you're a teenager listening to this, fuck off. Don't do that shit. <laughs> Be nice to your parents. They were good to you. <laughs> they're just like, fuck you, old man. I'll do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. They're going to, like, come and kill me or now. Or they didn't say anything because their faces are jammed in their iPhones. Yes, that that too. We Now we just fucking aged ourselves 35 years. <laughs> All right, what's a synopsis on the back of this bad boy? Blast off for the most amazing family sci-fi action space adventure in the universe. That's saying a lot. Damn, that's a mouthful. The year is 2058. With the Earth's resources severely depleted, human survival depends on the Jupiter mission. This daring plan will launch an entire family, the Robinsons, into the farthest reaches of hyperspace to colonize Alpha Prime, the only other habitable planet in the galaxy. But when a stowaway, Gary Oldman, Air Force One, sabotages the mission, the Robinsons find themselves hurling through an uncharted space, facing alien invaders, time warp wonders, and non-stop excitement. Featuring eye-popping special effects and a stellar ensemble cast, including William Hurt, Michael, Matt LeBlanc, TV's Friends, Mimi Rogers, Austin Powers International Man of Mystery, and Heather Graham, Boogie Nights, Lost in Space will rocket the entire family into a whole new dimension of fun. Approximately 130 minutes. Color. PG-13. I do like how this is a family film, and they mentioned on Heather Graham's Boogie Nights, which no family would watch together. Right, right. Yeah, like Michael, Friends... Austin Powers, Air Force One. These are all like PG-13 movies. And then Boogie Nights, hard R. Fucking naked Heather Graham. <laughs> so I think this covers pretty pretty well what the movie's about. So walking through the video store aisle and you come across this cover, do you pick this one up to try to watch? Oh, yeah, of course. Any kid's going to pick this up and watch it, especially when they look at the back and they see, like, a robot. Yeah, and they see special effects. And, yeah, it looks like action. Yeah, yes, yeah, I would. I definitely would. If I had never heard of it before and I just saw this cover, absolutely would pick this up. Yeah, the spaceship would do it for, like, 12-year-old Steve. Sold. Done. <laughs> Done. All right, cool. Let's, uh, you ready to pop this tape in? Let's pop it in. All right. Get lost in space this December on TCI Pay-Per-View. The Robinsons are all tucked in. We are ready to fly. Pay-Per-View launches the first family of space into your home. The time has come. Hang on! Prepare for an all-new adventure. We're lost. Fine. Gary Oldman, William Hurt, Matt LeBlanc, Mimi Rogers. Join the adventures in space with TCI Pay-Per-View. Movies that come when you call. So, we actually got trailers on this VHS and thank the space gods. It's been a while. We have not gotten many trailers. We've been watching some trashy movies. We've been watching some weird shit. (laughs) It's about time we get a more legit release. (laughs) So New Line hit us with Pleasantville first. And do you remember watching this way back when? I saw Pleasantville in theaters. I was really excited when that one was coming out. Not so much because of the content of the movie. I was young. I was probably like eight or nine when that finally came out. So I wasn't so much into like the concept but I liked the idea of like traveling through the TV and going into a TV show, the black and white mixed with the color. Like the visuals aspects of it was intriguing to me as like a nine year old. Yeah, you so, and I, you and I should definitely do this one day. Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire. I remember being very good in it. Yeah, and just like everything going on in the world today. Yeah, this one would have a lot of stuff for me to get mad about. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely think that one would be worth, uh, and I'm sure the VHS is pretty easy to find. Oh, we should track that one down and definitely do it. New line, yeah, that's a new line. That was like I think their release. I think they were promoting. So if this came out on Thanksgiving, 
that was probably like their their uh, winter release they had coming out. All right, yeah, I yeah, it surprises me because that just seems really intelligent for a New Line movie. They're smart marketers. Oh yeah, that's they, they did that really well. The the company that Freddie built, there's one thing they learned: it was market the hell out of everything you do. I really think, and I think you mentioned this with Pinocchio, but um, I always want to take it a step further. I really think when we look back at the 90s, we're going to look at New Line like we look at Canon now, mm-hmm. of being sort of ahead of their time, really smart with marketing. Yeah, so a lot of the stuff they put out was schlock and didn't make them as much money as they probably spent on it, but like really innovative stuff, really creative stuff, directors that you know had a visual eye for sure. Again, maybe if the movie wasn't great, at least they were trying some weird shit and pumping money into it. I really think we're going to look back at New Line fondly uh, when 90s nostalgia gets to more of a head. Well, the one thing they were always good at, other than marketing, is finding a look. Mm-hmm. All their movies tend to have a look. You know, when you look, you think of Freddy, you know, you know Freddy. Mm-hmm. They sold it. That one's easy. But even if you go back to the Ninja Turtles with the green and the black, mm-hmm. maybe that was already established with comic books, but they did a lot more. And just looking at this film, which probably isn't fondly remembered by many, but man, it definitely has its own visual look. For sure. And like, I just think of all the movies that I saw in theaters, like as a kid that I like have memories of, and I'm like, dumb and dumber and The Mask, and this movie, and Pinocchio, and shit like that. And I'm like, fuck, these were all New Line movies. Mm-hmm. Like, They knew how to to appeal to kids that just wanted to see like visu- like cool visuals and stuff like that. So I really think we're going to look back at them fondly. So next we had the remake or whatever they did to Gone with the Wind, and this is a film that I definitely wouldn't have watched as a kid. This is for the parents. Yeah, they had the, uh, they had the re-release of the VHS, the remastered VHS that was coming out that uh, New Line and uh, MGM were putting mm-hmm. out together. And um, I remember this because uh, at this time, I was really in that the AFI list had just come out, the first one, the first one ever that did, like, the top 100 AFI picks, the top 100 movies of all time. And, like, Gone with the Wind was, like, number three or something like that. And I was really, like, as a film nerd, real young, wanted to hit all these movies. So I remember actually buying this Gone with the Wind release that came out, not being super into it as a kid, but also not, like, hating it. Like, recognizing it was a good movie, but not maybe for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was during that time period where you could watch something like Gone with the Wind or, say, Citizen Kane. Like, you could watch a trailer to it, and you you know. You're like, that film's above my head right now. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I kind of want to see it so I could say I've seen it, but, like, uh, I'm like a 10-year-old at this point. I'm like, it's not my thing, but I recognize it as a good movie. You know, and, uh, when I was a kid and I remember that list, I was really into Casablanca because it had more, you know, it had meaty stuff for a kid to chew on at least for an old movie but yeah come with the wind i have i still have that tape um be an interesting one to go back and rewatch now as like more of an intense film nerd i wonder how i feel about it then i watched them in college i watched gone with the wind stuff like sis and kane and everything like that so it was definitely during that time period where like i was learning yeah right i'm right. smarter than you yeah so um so yeah we get that trailer and then we get Two amazing fucking things. Yes. We get a commercial, which you can take a look at on our Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, for Buzz Aldrin advertising a uh, camera, a camcorder. And he's like, you'll never see an image like this ever in your home camcorder. 30 years ago, they put me on the moon. Today, they put that same technology in the palm of your hand. Introducing the JVC CyberCam. It's the most advanced digital camcorder you'll ever use. It's really out of this world. It's out of this world. Yeah, it's so good. It's so funny. And it's just so fucking 90s. Oh, it's like God. him on a space set, like in a museum somewhere or whatever, walking around. And like he uses the camera and he like takes a shot with it and stuff. It's so, such a night. Like, kids, if you want to know what life looked like in the 90s, go back and watch this commercial. All the commercials were like that at the time. Yes. <laughs> then we get one of the best promos we've ever gotten. Yes. It is a commercial to buy the toys for oh. this movie. <laughs> Lost in space. Spider pack attacks in your face. Danger will run 
in and take control. The battle rages. Prepare for attack. It's Dr. Smith's spider pack. Will Robinson blasts. Professor Robinson bashes. Armor up Major West for magnetic spider smash. Weapon systems armed. But when Robot goes ballistic, you transform to crush the spider swarm. Lost in space, the battle rages. Lost in space action figures and deluxe action figures each sold separately from Trendmasters. And these are the type of trailers that made us want to start doing this podcast. Yes. This is it right yeah. here. We got it, finally. Like yeah. We have seen them online and stuff like that before, but we finally got a tape that had it on there. So it was very exciting. It's great. I have the Matt LeBlanc figure where the little mask goes over his head. And then I have the Gary Oldman one, and he comes with the little spiders that uh, are in the film and like if you push on the spiders back they like hop you know they like jump or whatever um, and then it came with a little figure of Gary Oldman as like spider smith really 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 cool toy line I'm looking up the prices right now on eBay 29.99 for the transforming space blaster nice yeah and that looks like uh, the future smith mm-hmm. oh is that what they call it future smith they call it Spider Smith in the credits for this, but maybe oh. the toys they call Future Smith did not spoil it. Only $10. I think we can buy this. <laughs> I'm going to find those in my basement. When I find Pinocchio and this, I'm going to have to bring them all over for an oh, episode. That's what I wanted. We found the robot. With a oh. rocket launcher. Yes! Oh, Ten- man. I so would have had this if I was more into this movie. I so would have had this toy. Yeah, I think that's what they were anticipating is kids would see this they'd fall in love with it and it would just be another star wars Mm -hmm. but sadly did not (laughs) so those are our trailers that we get we get the the pleasantville full trailer the gone with the wind commercial the buzz aldrin commercial and the toy commercial toy commercial was fucking amazing i highly recommend you guys googling the toy ads for this so fun i think i'll put it up on the facebook we'll put it up on the facebook page so you can see the toy commercial it's pretty it's pretty amazing so, are we ready to jump into our feature presentation? Yes, we are. Roger, Doctor. You are go to initiate cryostasis. Oh, uh, one question, Doctor. You are at T-minus 50 seconds. Is there room in these tubes for two? There's barely enough for you and your ego, Major. Hey, don't sweat it, Doc. I do this all the time. Just drive carefully. Here it is. We just got done watching Lost in Space. We went back, popped this thing in the VCR, and first opinion of it right away, I thought this movie was a little boring and a little long. Yeah, first opinion right off the bat before you guys go any further so you know if you need to shut this off. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't I haven't seen it in at least 15 years, maybe 20 years. Like maybe at, when this came out in Christmas I watched the tape and that might have been it. Like I don't think I've seen it since. It is, it is a sucker punch of nostalgia. <laughs> Style-wise, uh, just how characters interacted with themselves, it's so 90s. And what really surprised me, so when you go back sometimes and watch these older films, say like 20 years old or whatever, you always notice an actor that's in there and you're like, oh wow, I had no idea, I forgot. In this one, we got that. We had Lenny James and most of you will probably know him from The Walking Dead right now. He's in this. I mean, it's only for like five minutes, but this starts off with the most Star Wars beginning. It's a space battle. Yeah, and this is a year before the prequels, and it's already doing kind of the same thing with the special effects, which I remember worked really well at the time. They don't hold up now at all. They're pretty bad now, but uh, I mean, it's already doing what it would take Star Wars another year to do. See, I I can never quite figure out what they're trying to rip off on this. Is it Star Trek? Is it Star Wars? Is it Independence Day? I I don't know. I think think they were trying to kind of do their own thing, but yeah, there's so much borrowing. I I think this one probably gets the most uh, from Star Trek, in my opinion. It does seem kind of similar to the 90s movies that were, like the next-gen movies that were coming out from Star Trek. Uh, I think that's what it's around. There, there, there's even, I don't remember what it was because I'm not a big Star Trek fan, but there is like a Star Trek explicit reference in this that they drop. And I, I looked it up later and I was like, oh, I didn't get that because I'm not a fan. But like, what was it? I don't remember what it was, but there's like a line that is like a specific line reference to oh, Star wow, Trek. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, I, I like Star Trek, uh, especially the next generation. And I didn't, I don't even remember. Yeah, there's something in there. And then, did you also catch the Little House on the Prairie fucking reference they make with the 
good night and they're saying oh yeah like, i did so yeah. they're they're covering like the whole gamut of 60s tv shows references in this movie like i thought that was actually really funny when they did that i see i thought that was cheesy and weird like i didn't okay totally i didn't understand what this movie was <laughs> like so there was like sabotage in it there was i'm gonna kill your your whole family kind of thing going on with spider smith at one point and then there was just like matt leblanc desperately trying to get in heather graham's pants i mean Mm -hmm. the whole film wouldn't you well yes 90s era heather graham wouldn't you (laughs) (laughs) i I do it with heather graham right now i mean (laughs) no no she's stunning still i'm just saying like when she was at the height of that (laughs) i'm saying if like i'm a pilot coming onto the ship i just think it's like if this is a family film can we Shouldn't you pull that back a little bit? I mean, you can do flirting. Yeah. But he just straight up wanted to pound her. I mean, just like, go. I mean, come she, on. He he says he liked to thaw that cold fish at yes, one point. Yeah. To her father. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Uh, a lot of the writings actually specifically like that. And, like, there's a line where, like, uh, the Robinson uh, couple, the William Hurt and Mimi Rogers are talking. And... He's like, of course you're going to disagree with me. You, that's that's what you do. You always disagree with me. And she goes, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. We're married. Like, it's a lot of, like, sitcom dialogue. Yes. Like, that's what the kind of, like, level of, like, snarkiness is throughout this whole movie. Sarah and I watched this, and she fell asleep about an hour in, maybe 40 minutes in. But I was calling out, and I go, well, that joke right there, that's for the parents. Ha, mm-hmm. ha, 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 ha. It's pretty hard-edged for, like, what they're advertising as, like, a family movie. I know it's PG-13 and not, like, a PG movie. By the way, New Line later re-edited this movie to do a PG release of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Fuck that. I don't want to see that Is version. Is that the DVD version? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where you can get it if it came out on tape or what. But I remember this DVD. It had the white case. It actually looked pretty cool. I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it has like the white case thing, and it was this kind of color, so it like popped on the yeah, shelf. It, it yeah, it had really good contrast on the shelf, so it, yeah, it popped out on it. And again, that's just New Line being ahead. I don't, I don't know if that's ahead of the game, but it is one of those things where... This film probably wasn't going to sell well, but you at least noticed it. Yeah, it was. It's that same. They're kind of borrowing from like uh, like Wizard in the VHS era. They were like, "Well, let's make our tapes three times bigger than the tape boxes, three times bigger than the other tape boxes, so we stand out on the shelf." New Line was doing the same thing in the '90s. Like, let's make them all different fucking colors. Yeah. Like, and they did. They put a lot of them out that were like different because uh, all the three of the Austin Powers movies have different color cases. What is really annoying if you're a collector. And those giant mega boxes. <laughs> oh, those are so annoying. Even though they're unique. Oh, Jesus. Like, when I put all these up on, like, a shelf in this room, I don't Those fucking things. Yeah, those giant tapes. Yeah. No, but that's just a testament to how, like, New Line is the 90s equivalent of those Maverick 80s yeah. things. You know, they were doing the same thing in the DVD era. Yeah, one I want to get is Frankenhooker, and it's one of those... Oh, talking boxes. The talking boxes, which I'm sure none of them work, but damn it, where am I going to put that? (laughs) Anyway. VHS tangent over. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that's what the show's about. Let's let's definitely have that happen. but we get we get a lot of like sitcommy dialogue and it's it's snarky and it, yeah it's very sexual for a PG thirteen mm-hmm. release. So going into this, the whole story I also have a problem with. So you mean they made this gigantic ship for them to travel all the way to Alpha Prime, and they're only going to have I don't know six people on it. And that's it. Wouldn't you carry an entire fleet of people so when you land on the planet, it can be more than a small, like, one house? It can be a giant village city? Like, come on. Well, they're the test group, though. I know, I get it. So, like, they don't want to kill a bunch of people. (laughs) Five people? Six? And two of them are children. (laughs) I think it was only supposed to be... Main Robinson, Papa Robinson, and who they call Robinson throughout the whole movie. They call him Robinson. Yeah, he's Robinson. Um, so his name is Robinson Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> it was only supposed to be him, and he decides, that him and the captain, uh, the pilot or whatever, who Matt LeBlanc replaces, it's only supposed to be them two, but he wants to take his whole family with him. So that's why. But it was only supposed to be a two man mission. Again, like, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're gonna, like, 
you know, all these stupid Red Planet films that came out during that Mission to Mars. Oh, and yeah, there was a lot of them. Yeah, so there's a lot of them coming out, and it is, I think it was from, like, ever since Independence Day, from 1996 to about two, mid-2000s, we had an alien revival that just would not quit. You're, you kids remember the zombie films from, like, 2002 and on? This, before that, we had the alien revival, and it yes. was every freaking summer yeah we had every freaking summer you know what we're getting now uh we're back to space now we're getting in november we're getting the prestige space movie every year the martian gravity we had another one this year and i'm forgetting uh but we always get it like a prestige like big actors in space now that's the new trend we had uh what's his name from jurassic world and what's her name from mother passengers Passengers. Was it Passengers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, we nice. get a prestige space film now every year. I, I miss these. I miss the schlocky alien ones. <laughs> well, we've got plenty of schlock coming out this year. Don't worry. And we've we got do... the video game schlock era starting. Yeah. Woo. I can't wait to dig into this year. <laughs> yes. Actually, I'm going to have a lot of fun watching these movies this year because there's a lot of schlock. Yeah, like I, like I mentioned in uh, one of the past episodes, I think in the Mom and Dad episode, this is going to be a good time for kids to get introduced to, like, the kind of shit we like. Because <laughs> like, they're going to see shit like Pacific Rim and Rampage and be like, I want to watch more junk like that. And then they're going to go back and find, like, these New Line movies and the Canon movies and shit like that. We're going to be old <laughs> men one day with canes. And this, and we're going to see a kid in, like, 2000, I don't know, 40, 50, whatever. He's like, this movie's bad. I love it. And we're just going to stand up and be like, I got some movies. <laughs> I got some tapes for you. Be like, where did those go? <laughs> <laughs> Just like, stranger danger. <laughs> oh, man. Such a 90s threat. So, yeah, so this family's got to go to space. And they're going to go to this new planet that's habitable. I mean, so this movie's set in 2058. They're kind of getting it right, though, about us killing the planet. They say that they, they, they only have, like, 20 years left of habitable Earth. Didn't somebody say we only have 60 years left of habitable Earth right now? Uh, I don't know. Every generation we're being reminded we're killing it, and every generation (laughs) we barely do anything about it. (laughs) Yeah, but, I mean, just like the traveling to space and colonizing, you know, with everything that's happening with with Elon and his plans to send us to space, I I mean, this movie's kind of predicted where we ended up <laughs> kind of kind of i mean yeah it's kind of a trope but I mean, still didn't mad max protect yeah where we were yeah i'm not it, saying so. that that didn't that totally did too yeah um this movie also predict the smartphone technology though she's talking she's narrating uh the little girl in this uh is like a teenager i think she's supposed mm-hmm. to be like 14 or something she has like a, a watch that she talks into and records and uploads like her like vlog oh. of her life yeah, uh, this is definitely... They and it predicted it that. that. It predicted the shit out of that. That's what I'm saying. Like, her character... What was her name again? Uh, Lacey? I don't know. Uh, what Shabir? was it? Penny. Penny. Penny's character nailed that with a... I mean, Penny kind of predicted YouTube. Mm-hmm. She is the front runner for, like, Generation Me. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a... Yeah, perfect. That's a perfect way to put it. And... So when this, going further on in the story, we got to point out the homage to the alien or aliens where they hyper freeze to travel. Mm -hmm. I thought they were going to like just fall out exactly like aliens. (laughs) And it was somewhat close. Yeah, it was pretty close. Yeah, Gary Ullman, Mr. Smith, Dr. Smith programs the robot to kill the family while they're in space, while they're flying. They're supposed to be asleep for 10 years. They don't even make it 10 hours. <laughs> they get, what, what is it, in six hours, six hours into sleep, the robot comes to kill them? Isn't that what he programs in to do? Yeah, and I thought it was weird because they would be far enough away to t- just turn around. I mean, they'd be yeah. still close enough to Earth. Yeah, it would literally take only another 16 hours or whatever it is yeah. to get back. So I was thinking, <laughs> just turn like, around. Why did, why, obviously, it's because of plot that they yeah. didn't do that, but it should be programmed, like, I don't know, 30 days in. Yeah, exactly. That's It, it would become more of a threat, I feel like, if it was way later. <laughs> For like one year, you know, when you're like, oh, man, they're way too far. We'll just send another one. So Gary Oldman's character, Dr. Smith, was my favorite as a kid, and it just delights me now going back and watching it and how devious and shitty he is, and, like, that was my favorite character as a kid. Like, I think that says everything you need to know about little me. (laughs) But he's so watchable and so good. Basically, he programs the robot to kill the family, 
It doesn't work. They end up getting lost in space because of it. He's the cause. They don't kill him because they just want to be the better people. They don't want to resort to being savages. You know, that old trope. So they keep him alive. And he keeps shifting from, like, being on their side to being a bad guy so deliciously. Like, <laughs> he's the only really good one in this. Like I said, Matt LeBlanc and the two kids do a good job. But Gary Oldman just owns this everything. Yeah. God, he's so, like, he deserves that top billing he got in this movie. He's the most, like, entertaining. Yeah, and this is when he was just doing all these sci-fi movies mm-hmm. right in a row. It was great. Yeah, hot on the heels of his over-the-top manic performance in uh, Fifth Element comes this movie. <laughs> Which I think that character in Fifth Element is what inspired the awfulness in Jupiter Ascending. And if you've not seen Jupiter Ascending, you need to watch that trash because that is <laughs> fucking amazing how bad it is. Yeah, I need to see that one still. I never got to oh, it, but I know I'll love seen? it. I know I'll love it. Oh, we! Oh man, I totally would have picked that for this month on our Space Future Month if I would have known that. There'll be other months. We'll get it. Maybe we'll do like a Planets Month or something. <laughs> Jupiter Just, Ascending. Yeah, all the titles have to yeah, have Yeah, Mission to Mars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we, we have Gary Oldman sabotage the ship. They get lost in space. <gasps> There's a great moment where I could hear the audience yell lost in space when one of the characters is just like what happened to us where are we and then the other character kind of turns towards the camera but then we cut to the next scene so there's like a moment of silence in there and i could just hear the audience being like lost in space (laughs) yeah and it's like it takes this film a while to get going but man the middle part really slows down this film this is when they're trying to figure it all out and they're like okay Gary Oldman over here is the bad guy. What are we going to do? Uh-oh, there's a bubble on this planet that we randomly landed on, and then they find the monkey. And <sighs> So let's just get into the monkey. <laughs> so they get on the ship, this abandoned ship. No one's left on there. Uh, dude from Walking Dead was the captain. He was going to go save them because this is now 10 years into the future. They've ended up in some time loop where now they're 10 years into the future and their ship is going to find them. But they don't find a person. They find a CGI monkey uh, living among the plants on the ship. And this thing is a monstrosity. <laughs> it, I hate it. Like, you know, it just makes me angry. Like, I was anger watching during this time period. I'm like, oh, my God, why did you do this? <laughs> like, at least with this one. Okay, when you have Jumanji, I understood that they were just trying to push the limits, but they needed to use trained monkeys in there because there's no freaking reason to use, you know, the CG monkeys. This one, I get it. Okay. It's like an alien monkey. Yeah, this is this is what I was going to say in defense of the CGI. The CGI is bad, and there's no defending the quality of it. It's bad CGI. But what I like about this over stuff like Jumanji is it is something otherworldly. So you're trying to create something I haven't seen before. And yep. even though it's bad CGI, at least it's different. I hate, hate animal CGI. Just get an animal. Like, especially if they're not in trouble, like in peril. Like, if you're not going to hurt the animal, put a fucking animal in your movie. Spend the extra money to put something really there. When it is a CGI animal, it always looks bad. Yes. Always. So this one, I gave it a little bit more credit. And again, during the time period, they're trying to find how to do all this. They're probably inventing a lot of the software to even do it. But I do recall that it was bad then. Mm-hmm. And it's really bad now. And what I read was, once again, this is another stupid decision. Jim Henson, who did the robot for this, they created the monkey, and they decided to go back over it and see with CGI to make it. I oh guess. man, I so, wish we could find that. So yeah, I don't think any of that exists of that monkey. I think they did it before they shot it. So coming into it, were the kid and Gary Oldman go outside to find this time bubble? This is after William Hurt's character, Robinson Robinson, has. <laughs> gone into the bubble and now they're following and we end up finding that this bubble was actually them yes from the future it's it's little william oh wait no that's not his name is it yeah oh yeah it's little will it's little will who has grown up and he's survived out there in the ship and we have just kind of the adventure starts of how we're going to get back and we get the explanation that will has invented a time machine which they had mentioned throughout this thing that he thought time travel was real and his dad mm-hmm. kind of just put him off. Because we haven't mentioned the father and little Will have this thing where he's 
kind of abandoning his son. Like for work, yeah. For work. Mm-hmm. So he keeps mentioning time travel, and he does eventually create it. He figures out how to do it, but he rushes it because he's being rushed by Dr. Smith, and we'll get into that in a second. He's rushing it, and it causes the rift, and that's the thing that causes time to be shifted to where they have now traveled 10 years into the future, and then this bubble is even 20 years more into the future. So they've jumped 30 years by the time they go into the bubble. And yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of time jumping yeah. uh, in there because because of this time machine has caused the rift mm-hmm. in time. But Will has figured out a way to jump back so that they can go to Earth and he can stop them from traveling to space. Now we didn't mention that at, earlier in the movie when they find the monkey, Gary Oldman gets attacked by a space spider. These things are awful CGI, but they're fucking cool though. Like if they were if they looked better, these would be awesome. Like, these space spiders are really nasty little things. Yeah, this is good design work. I I saw the illustrations of this. They're really good. Yeah, the CG is just not good for it. But it's a good design. It's a good idea to have these things in there because now you actually create an enemy for an enemy in Mm. this. So it kind of sort of becomes your friend in a way because, well, at the end, they attack him. Mm -hmm. It's, it's It's nice layering here. And maybe this is why Goldsman went on to win an Oscar. <laughs> it's not for dialogue, I can tell you that much. Uh, but he, he has a layered, yeah, where like Mr. Smith, or Dr. Smith, I keep yelling Mr. Smith, Dr. Smith is on again, off again, the villain, mm-hmm. but he's sometimes not. But then the spy, when he's good guy, when he's fighting with the good guys, the spiders are the villain. Then he becomes the spider, but then the spiders are ultimately what yeah. kill him. It's good writing. Oh, I got to point out too, uh, just something so 90s about this movie you remember how they reveal the title at the beginning of the movie? How it just kind of whooshes past yeah, the screen yeah. in like the most 90s font we've ever seen. It's like full screen. It's like your whole screen. It comes across uh, from right to left or whatever. Just comes in and just whooshes past and that's it. Like that's all we see of the title. I love that. I fucking love that design choice. <laughs> yeah, the late 90s. I mean, their fonts are so unique and distinct over the top (laughs) when you see 90s font you just know yeah it just immediately rockets you into the past (laughs) we get we get gary oldman turning into a spider and that's cool again the cg's terrible but i saw the illustrations they're cool oh the design is fucking awesome and he's so good like doing the creepy monster voice yeah holy shit I fucking yeah. love that character. Oh, you can definitely see why he's done so many video game voices. His voice work is really, really good. Now, this CG is dog shit. Yeah, it's bad. It doesn't look good. <laughs> it's just gonna, there's no argument I can make for it. Other than, not an argument, but the, the pro of that con is that like the design is cool. Will, who has spent 30 years or so creating this time machine... The spider smith gets pushed into it and killed, but he doesn't go through it. So now they've got a chance. Will can go back into the past and, I don't know, fix what happened between him and his family. But instead, he decides to push his dad in there to save the current family outside of the bubble. Right, because in the current timeline... See, this is where it gets it gets a little oh, yeah. convoluted. I, I, I watch this timeline. and I'm like kind of getting like, oh, what is going on? When they try to go through the time machine and Spider-Smith gets killed, the ship with the remaining family explodes. So that is the current timeline. They die. So he then, that's when Will makes the choice to sacrifice him going back into the past for his father. Because only one person could go through. For we some know that, reason. We know that Dr. Smith was going to use it anyway. He was... Uh, manipulating Will into letting him use it. You know what pissed me off? They could have just hugged each other and dived into it. Yeah, but what if like they morphed into one like David Cronenberg like monster <laughs> after they time travel? Well, then we got a whole <laughs> nother movie. <laughs> so yeah, he goes back, saves the family, and then they're on the way to Alpha Prime. Yeah, and it's definitely set up for a sequel because it's just like, uh oh, now we're lost in space again. Yeah, it's like, well, now we got to figure. They like they go through this exciting sequence, which I thought was pretty good, where they have to go through the planet in order to time jump again to go to yeah. where they need to go for to get to Alpha Prime to get through the wormhole. They go through, and it's like this really exciting scene. They get through, and they're like, all right, we're on our way. We're gonna hit the wormhole, and then the kids just like cool, and then we get credits. Now I have to also point out. 
These are the fucking coolest credits I've ever seen. <laughs> I will give that. I, I, I'll give you that. Uh, I watched all the way through that until they went to, like, just the, the regular second scroll? units. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. I loved the end credits of this movie. <laughs> and you watched all the way to the end and told me there was nothing after it, which disappointing. I, I kind of... I miss that. I, I guess that was more of like a late, uh, early '90s thing for a while that we got so many after credits, and then mm-hmm. they came back with the Marvel movies. Yeah. Also, just like two uh, early '90s, even if it wasn't an after credits for the movie, you'd get like the soundtrack ad or something like that. But yeah, this time there's just none of that shit because DVDs were doing it then now, so they didn't need to put them after the VHS. Yeah, I guess we just. We, we lost that until those wonderful uh, Marvel movies pretty much brought it back and made it popular again. And now mm. there's companies that are like, no, we will not do that. Yeah, now well, now they're, it's overused. That's the problem. Like, after the credits fun used, used to be fun because it would surprise you. Now no. every movie is expected to do it. I wish every movie would do it so <laughs> I can sit there and look at the attendant who wants to clean the theater. That awkward <laughs> look of them like, oh, Jesus. Hey, man, you know what? It does one good thing. Uh, all those really below the line people that are in those scrolling credits, they paid to have their names on that movie. They paid to have their names listed. So now you got to stay and watch them. <laughs> yeah, and I do. I sit there and look out and look for the weird names. Yeah, yeah. I look, I look out for people that I might know. <laughs> um, it's Tyler. <laughs> yeah, right. I haven't, I haven't had much of that yet, but hopefully soon. All right, let's go to the behind the scenes on this. It's our behind the scenes, and I've got a few. So William Hurt here, the actor, the main actor that played Robinson Robinson, <laughs> uh, he turned down the role that Sam Neill took in Jurassic Park. Damn, I'm glad that happened. Sam Neill's fucking amazing, so I'm glad that he got his shot on the big stage. Uh, that's not all the roles he turned down that he shouldn't have. Now you gotta remember, he won an Oscar in like, I don't know, 86, 87 for some uh, spider I don't know yeah. what it was called. Kiss I, of the Spider Woman. Yeah, Kiss of the Spider Woman. So I don't know if he just thought he was better than this film at that time in the uh, 93, but that's probably why he took this. He's like, oh, I'm not turning down another one of these. Yeah, I'm not turning down another <laughs> franchise, and guess what? It didn't work out. Uh, yeah. He also turned down the um, writer role in Misery. Hmm. Interesting. Great James Conn performance, though, so I'm yeah. glad he turned it down. Yeah, that's what I got on him. Now, there's not a lot on the rest of this cast. Mimi Rogers made the comeback, but she'd been acting since the 70s. And of course, Gary Oldman went on and now is probably going to win an Oscar. But I did, when I was looking up Matt LeBlanc, I thought it was really funny that I did not realize that Joey lasted two seasons. Yeah, lasted a while. Lasted yeah. a little bit longer than everybody expected, but still flopped. <laughs> yeah, but still two seasons, that means you weren't a complete flop. No. Yeah, and uh, he's on episodes now. Uh, well, no, I think episodes end. Now he's on Man and a uh, Man with a Plan. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Back back to shitty sitcom. But <laughs> episodes was fantastic. That show was great. I've heard a lot of people say you need to watch episodes, and I still haven't. Don't know why. It's, it's just one yeah, of those shows great. I haven't. I haven't finished it yet, but uh, I'm like into the third season of it, and it's great. Absolutely great. I wanted to mention just <laughs> something funny. When I was like when I was like eight. You know, and first saw this movie. I totally did have, like, a crush on Lacey Chabert. Because, you know, she was a 14-year-old. She was cute, you know, in, in this mm-hmm. movie. Now, watching it in my 20s, I have, like, the hugest crush on Heather Graham. I mean, she's the height of her popularity. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, if I'm 40, if I'm going to be like, what's up, Mimi Rogers? <laughs> Go through the whole Robinson family as, like, I get older. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, man. I don't think you could handle Mimi Rogers. I don't think I could either. No. That's she's, a whole lot of woman right yeah, there. That is, she, she intimidates me, yeah. and I don't know why. <laughs> I kind of like it, though. Maybe I'm already into it. Hmm. <laughs> You've moved on. I've moved on. Sorry, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> man, that was quick. <laughs> oh... So I I saw the Jack Johnson kid. He really did not do much after this, but he is a cinematographer. Oh, nice. So he did stay in movies. He just stopped acting, and I can't find out why. Hmm. Interesting. He's, he's fine in this movie. He's good. He's yeah, good he as a actually, kid actor. He actually looks like someone who could have gone on and done more acting as a child, but I guess maybe he's just like, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, if he's getting to shoot movies now, that's pretty cool. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Now, what you were saying about this, also behind the scenes, this was planned as a trilogy. Yes. So they had. you can read the description. There's a description online about what they wanted the second movie to be, but basically they get to Alpha Prime and everything's wrong there. 
it's not livable. Right. And then they have to figure out why, and then they're trying to cure Gary Oldman from becoming the spider monster and all kind of, yeah. Basically, they get lost in space again. (laughs) These people just can't find their way through space. (laughs) There was a huge TV show to movie adaptation revival going on. Do you remember that? Yes, this was so 90s and early 2000s. Like, we're still seeing it today, don't get me wrong, but, like, we had shit like The Mod Squad, Scooby-Doo, uh, Charlie's Angels. What else did we have? Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible really kicked the door in. The for Brady that. Bunch. Brady Bunch, yeah. So it was just so many. They were taking these TV characters and just desperately trying to make a movie out of them. Yeah, and they, they kept doing this, and this is one of them. Uh, and definitely not a standout. You know, like Charlie's Angels, I think, has gone on to become somewhat of a classic. But I don't really think a lot of these movies really have <laughs> it, it's, it's funny because charlie charlie's angels the first one hit yeah they got it charlie's angels 2 is now like a really bad movie that a lot of people watch ironically yeah i've caught that a lot and now they're doing another charlie's angels movies but apparently they're not going to use any of the old cast members but i hope they put them in like little yeah tiny roles because the the mcg ones have the original angels in them yeah Yeah, so i hope they do this yeah i hope they do the same thing again here i don't watch the second one ironically i like the second one. i know you're you're (laughs) one of the only people i know i I really enjoy the second one it's a fun movie all right let's come back and put something in our museum this is the second time i've had to reclaim my property from you that belongs in a museum so do you This is what's going in our museum. We try to find something good or bad. And I'm actually going to put in a pro on this one. I know with a lot of these bad CG 90s films, I always point it out. Not this one. (laughs) The concept art on this movie is awesome. For the ship, for the robot, the CG spiders, the even the monkey I saw some concept art for. There's a lot of good ideas. Mm -hmm. It's just... The CG wasn't there. Yeah, I think that was the problem with this movie. The technology wasn't caught up to the ideas here. Or they should have scaled back and used more practical stuff because the practical stuff they do use here is amazing. The robot, both incarnations, the 90s era robot and then the 60s era robot that they use, both look amazing. Mm -hmm. They did drop the ball, though, there. The Danger Will Robinson, which is like the famous line from the, the series... They sort of casually drop it the first time, and yeah. then they have the big epic one yeah, like, the later. Se- but like, he, the first time you hear it in the movie, he's just like, oh, Danger Will Robinson. <laughs> like, it's real casual, and it's like, oh, almost. <laughs> casual, robot. Yeah, I, I give you that. The, the sets and the props that were actually real in this film are really good. Good job from New Line to make actual sets. Yeah. Costume decision also that I thought was fucking hilarious. Did you notice how many zippers were on Heather Graham's, like, doctor suit when she was in space? It's oh, not no. not this not this like vacuum form bodysuit one that's on the cover. But she's like in like a science jumpsuit. Oh there, yes, and there's like yeah. a fucking thousand zippers hanging off of her. I'm like, you are the nineties. Like <laughs> if you waved a magnet by you, you'd be sucked up <laughs> sucked across the floor. Well, Matt, what is going in your portion of the museum? I have to put in two things this time because there's two things that I really like about this. One uh, more of an aesthetic choice and one more of a physical thing in the movie. First thing I'm putting in the museum this week is uh, Spider-Smith. Not so much for the uh, CGI because it's pretty terrible, but the design and how creepy and weird it is. I love him in like the overcoat. And then he reveals, and he's got all the fucking, like, legs. But they're not normal legs, because there's, like, legs coming out of legs and shit. Yeah. Really, really creepy and cool design. And Gary Oldman really sells it with the voice acting. I loved the design of that character. I could eat it up. As soon as he first showed up in this on screen, I was like, oh, yes. I got excited. I was like, I love this character. Second thing, this is more just a design element. Putting the end credits in my museum this time, because they're so fucking cool. I love... The, the song choice, which is like the most 90s vomit song choice ever. Oh, like yeah. That like house techno-y kind of nonsense song with like the flashing like uh, seizure credits that they give you. Oh, I love it. Mixed in with the theme of the 60s original. Like, it's so perfect. It's so perfectly 90s. Yeah, I, I, we didn't actually go into that, but the soundtrack on this is disgustingly late 90s. Yeah. 
they had that like I guess I didn't know song at the end of the yeah. credit. Yeah, it was like all that like Crystal Method and uh, all those bands oh, that did gosh. all those techno-y throbbing songs yeah. in the late so, 90s. If you love late 90s pop industrial, yeah. I don't I don't know house house, house techno industrial shit. Yeah, you're going to love the soundtrack on this and yeah. I bet they made I bet they really pushed that too. Oh, I'm sure that was one of the marketing. Yes. Things. Guarantee it was. I like the songs on there because they're just like 90s trash, (laughs) which this movie is. So I'm going to say if you catch this one in a Goodwill or a shop like that or whatever, which you will because this one's fucking everywhere, pick it up for sure. Not because it's a great movie, but it is a great nostalgia piece. It is 1998 epitomized. I would say this is only for this type of fan. If you like the late 90s or the old TV adaptations, you should definitely have it. The problem with this, this isn't for everyone. No. And that's why it struggled so bad. If you like sci-fi and you like the late 90s, you're going to get a lot out of this. And even though I did not like this film, it is long. It is too long. It needs to be cut. There's so much filler in certain parts of this. But it was a fun ride down nostalgia. But I would definitely say give it a shot, especially if it's a quarter at a Goodwill. Pick it up. Check it out. And remember how we did things 20 years ago. (laughs) Now, speaking of nostalgia and late 90s, I I got the video game itch. And I got the retro game itch. And I started to play Final Fantasy VII. So, throughout this, if any of you nerds remember this in the late 90s, I'm going to update you on how slowly I play video games. (laughs) I was a nerd. I was huge into RPGs. And this game, yeah, it just propelled it into the mainstream video game playing. Everyone owned this. And it was Mm -hmm. like, remember, it was like three or four discs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was huge. Mm -hmm. I've got the big fucking... Yeah. CD case that this was in. Yeah, I remember it. I think it was so big. I think this one was the one that came with my PlayStation when I bought it. Yeah, I've been going back and watching the commercials. It was insane. Mm -hmm. And this is an adventure RPG. You couldn't escape it. No. It was everywhere at the time. I wasn't even a gamer, and it was something I had. You know, it's inescapable in the 90s. Yeah, definitely. All right, we will be back next week with Valerian, the story of a thousand horses. Pretty sure that's the title. Uh, a, thousand, a thousand planets, a hundred planets, I don't and know. the horse soldiers. Yeah, um, <laughs> the declassified story of a thousand planets with horse soldiers. Um, whatever the fucking title is. Yes, I've not seen this. You've not seen this. So this is gonna be interesting. It sure will. So we will see you next week. And remember to be kind. Rewind. <laughs>